Trigger warning. This episode of Scary Stories for the Soul mentions instances of sexual abuse and graphic violence. Listener beware. Hello everyone, this is Isabel Cortez, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. The bonds that we create with our loved ones mold us into who we are. The closer you are to someone, the more likely you are to adopt their mannerisms, interests, and even their emotions. It's kind of an odd human process when you think about it. The more time we spend with a person, the stronger the connection we have with them becomes. And the stronger the connection is, the more susceptible we are to adopting small pieces of their personalities and integrating them as pieces of ourselves. It sounds scary, but it's actually very normal, being influenced by those around you. It's only when you take that influence too far, far enough to drive yourself to madness, that you should really be worried. This was the case for sisters Christine and Leah Papin, whose close bond led them to commit one of the most heinous and highly publicized murders in French history. Christine Papin was the second eldest daughter of Clemence Duray and Gustave Papin. Born on March 8, 1905 in Le Mans, France, Christine's first real memories of life were unfortunately filled with contention and strife. Her mother Clemence reportedly suffered from undiagnosed postpartum depression, which caused her at times to be less than nurturing towards Christine, and even violent with her firstborn daughter Amelia as well. To add insult to injury, rumors of an affair between her husband Gustav and his employer began to circulate within their small neighborhood. Before long, Clemence decided to leave Christine with a paternal aunt and uncle in order to ease some of her stress. For seven years, Christine enjoyed the life of a well-adjusted and loved child with her relatives. Her sister, Leah Papin, was born on September 15, 1911. She was never given the opportunity to form any sort of relationship with her mother. She was given to her maternal uncle a few months after her birth and reportedly never saw Clemence again. In 1912, after Amelia launched accusations of sexual violence against her father, Clemence decided to send her firstborn daughter to the Bon Pastor Catholic Orphanage in Nantes, France. Soon after Amelia's arrival to Bon Pastor, and without any warning, Clemence plucked both Christine and Leah, who were thriving with their new families, from their respective homes and dropped them off at the orphanage as well. Bon Pastor had a long reputation for not just physical abuse, but sexual and mental abuse as well. But it seems as though Clemence ignored those warnings. Although the sisters had never been given the opportunity to form a close relationship early on in their lives, surviving the orphanage brought them closer than ever before. That is until 1918, when Amelia turned 17 and decided to join a convent effectively severing all ties with her biological family. Hoping to follow in her sister's footsteps, Christine voiced the desire to do the same and also join a convent, but her mother explicitly forbade it. Christine reportedly begged and pleaded with her mother to join the call of the church, but Clemence would not budge. 
she preferred her daughter to join the workforce instead. Once she reached the appropriate age, Clemence began toting Christine around Le Mans, offering her services as a live-in maid. When Leah turned 18, she repeated the cycle again. Christine and Leah bounced from home to home, working as maids for some of Le Mans' most prestigious families. Christine was revered as a hard worker, although she reportedly had an insubordinate and rebellious side. Leah, who was often referred to as someone with, quote, low intelligence, was known for being quiet and obedient. Together, the duo made their way through French society before cutting ties with their mother in 1926 and landing on the doorstep of René and Leonie Lanceline at 6 Rue Bruyère. René and Leonie Lanceline, along with their daughter Genevieve, were well known throughout Le Mans, René being a retired solicitor with many wealthy former clients as friends. While they might have been held in high esteem within their social circles, among the working class folk of Le Mans, other stories were brewing. Madame Leonie was a constant topic of conversation, with many former maids accusing the woman of both physical and verbal abuse. A woman accustomed to the finer things in life, Madame Leone often conducted what was known as the white glove test, where she ran a white gloved hand over various surfaces in her home to ensure that they were being dusted and polished on the regular. If her glove ever came up dusty or stained, the maids would be susceptible to strict punishments, ranging anywhere from the withholding of food to physical beatings. The Papine sisters were reportedly also victims of said abuse, but due to the treatment that they endured while living in the Bon Pastor Catholic Orphanage, they publicly complained very little. After some years of working for the Lanceline family, Christine and Leah became the sole targets of Leonie's aggression after she developed severe depression and anxiety. Christine reportedly took the brunt of the punishments, even covering for her sister at certain times. According to later court testimony, Madame Lanceline would often attack the girls unprovoked and at random, with one of her more brutal attacks coming in the form of slamming their heads into walls if they just so happened to walk past her in a hallway or going up the main stairs. After enduring years of abuse at the orphanage, the Papine sisters were back where they started, being abused by someone in a position of power with no one to comfort them but each other. But all of that changed on Thursday, February 2nd, 1933. The Lanceline family were expected to attend a family friend's dinner party sometime in the later evening. While their patriarch, Rene, was out on business, both Leonie and Genevieve decided to do some shopping around town, leaving the Papine sisters in charge of the estate for the short hours that they were gone. Upon arriving back home, however, the mother and daughter were greeted with completely darkened house. The entire property had been plunged into darkness. The clause of the back out remains a mystery to this day, with Christine and Leah's court testimonials telling different stories. According to Christine, Leah had accidentally dropped a basin of water on a faulty iron, causing a fuse to spark and triggering the blackout. Leah contradicted that account by claiming that the blackout was caused by an iron that they had recently picked up from the repair shop. When the iron was plugged into the electrical outlet, it blew a fuse. 
regardless of what caused the blackout, the fact that she arrived to a home with absolutely no power threw Madame Lanceline into an alleged violent spiral. The Papine sisters testified that she attacked them on the first floor landing, landing vicious blows while her daughter Genevieve did nothing but watch. It was then that years of abuse, pain, and frustration bubbled over and the Papine sisters decided to fight back. Christine took a nearby pewter jug and smashed it over Madame Lanceline's head, causing her to fall back and cower. Genevieve then ran to her mother's defense and attacked Christine, but Christine managed to knock the young woman off of her where she began to gouge her eyes out with her fingers. Leah then joined the scuffle and adjoined the attack on Madame Lanceline. Later in court, Leah would allege that Christine shouted, quote, I am going to massacre them, while egging Leah on to gouge Madame Lanceline's eyes out. Via their designated legal representative, Leah informed the court that Christine had told her to, quote, smash her head into the ground and tear her eyes out. Once both mother and daughter were rendered almost completely blind, Christine gathered both a knife and a workman's hammer from the kitchen. With those weapons and the initial pewter jug, the sisters set out to murder Leonie and Genevieve Lanceline. Together, Christine and Leah used these weapons on the mother and daughter until the woman lay dead in pools of their own blood. The exact amount of time that it took for the murders to occur is still unknown, but what is known is that René Lanceline was still expecting both his wife and daughter at the dinner party later that night. When he arrived at said party and noticed that only his son-in-law from a different daughter was there, he knew something was wrong. René Lanceline testified that around 6.30 to 7.00 p.m., he and his son-in-law walked back to his home at 6 Rue Briere and found all of the doors bolted shut from the inside. All the lights were also off except for a single candle burning at the window of the Papine sisters' room. The anxious pit in his stomach growing René Lanceline called the police and had an officer climb the garden wall which led into his home. The other men followed suit and with the help of a locksmith were able to enter the home where they found a gruesome sight. Both Leonie and Genevieve were dead on the first floor landing, their bodies covered in blood and their faces unrecognizable from the savagery that had committed against them. Madame Leonie Lanceline's eyes were gouged out and tucked into the folds of the scarf around her neck. The back of her head had been caved in and there were numerous stab wounds littering her body. Genevieve lay not a foot beside her mother, her head and body in a similar state, with her eyes also gouged out at their sockets. However, in Genevieve's case, one of her eyes was found underneath her body while the other was located at the top of the stairs on the other side of the hallway. Seeing no signs of a robbery, René Lanceline, along with the police, dashed up to the Papine sisters' room, fearing that they might have met the same violent end as the mother and daughter. The group knew that something was off when they found the door to Christine and Leah's room locked. They knocked several times and called for the sisters to open the door or give them some proof of life, but no one responded. The locksmith was called once more, and the door to the room was pried open. If the sight downstairs was one of horror, the one they found inside the room only spurred further confusion and terror. 
police found Christine and Leah sitting in bed naked, drenched in blood, and clinging onto each other. A blood-stained pewter pot, a knife, and a hammer with pieces of flesh and hair were laying on a nearby chair, along with the sisters' crumpled and bloody clothing. According to police, both Christine and Leah immediately confessed to the murders, claiming it as an act of self-defense. Christine Papine notably stated, quote, It was her or us. From now on, I am deaf and dumb. The murders of Madame Lanceline and her daughter Genevieve rocked French high society and plunged the sisters into the limelight. Former employers came forward and com commented on the sisters' unusual relationship, claiming that they were both quiet and retiring young women with no interests but each other. The sisters quickly protected one another in court, each claiming that they were solely responsible for the murders. They sometimes even claimed that the other sister was not even in the house when the murders took place, although that was quickly proven false since police officers found both of them in the room. The circumstances surrounding Leonie and Genevieve's death had an immense impact on the public as a whole. While those who considered themselves members of high society were horrified that a subordinate could do something like this to their employer, others who were among the middle and working classes viewed the murders as a result of, quote, exploitation of the workers. The Papin sisters worked 14-hour days with only a day off each week. Their wages were low, their working conditions were brutal and oftentimes violent, and they could not afford to leave and find employment elsewhere. Many prominent intellectuals, such as Jean-Paul Sartre, Simone de Beauvoir, and Jean Genet, levied the crime as a prominent example of class warfare. Before trial began for the Papin sisters, Christine and Leah were placed in separate prisons for fear that they would feed each other pieces of information to get their stories straight. Officials hoped to break either one or both of the sisters, prompting them to turn on each other, but that plan failed miserably. It seemed as though the more time that the sisters spent apart, the more crazed and manic they became. At one point in Christine's prison stay, she became so frantic that she begged and pleaded with officers to allow her to see her sister, insisting that if they did not do so, she would torture herself to death. So disturbed by her manic behavior, the men quickly obliged and brought her to Leah. But when Christine was finally reunited with her sister, the behavior only became more disturbed. She threw herself on top of Leah and desperately tried to unbutton her blouse in an attempt to undress her. Christine had to be pried off of Leah by three guards, and the two were not allowed to see each other again until their time in court. The murder trial of Christine and Leah Papin began in July of 1933 with a packed courtroom and even more curious spectators waiting outside. The sisters pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, while also claiming self-defense. Their legal representation not only stated that the sisters were mentally incapable of grasping the severity of the situation, they also claimed that had Madame Lanceline not attacked Christine and Leah first, she and her daughter would still be alive. Her unrelenting physical abuse was the catalyst for the vicious attack that ultimately ensued. 
While it was clear to those around them that the sisters had clear signs of mental illness, such as their unusual attachment towards one another and their stoic, sometimes even catatonic nature, three court-appointed medical doctors administered various psychological tests, all ultimately finding the sisters not only fit for trial, but completely lucid and understanding of what they had done. Later that month, Christine suffered a, quote, fit in her jail cell, where she reportedly began foaming at the mouth while trying to gouge her own eyes out. Prison guards restrained her with a straitjacket to prevent her from harming herself any further. But after she came down from the fit, Christine told the investigating magistrate that she might have suffered a similar type of fit the day of the Lanceline attack, seemingly giving another motive for the murder. This tactic ultimately backfired on Christine. Instead of potentially providing a medical reason for the murders, one where she reportedly blacked out and wasn't in control of her own actions, the calculated performance only showed the investigators, and ultimately the jury, that Christine was intelligent enough to orchestrate something so horrific. In September of 1933, numerous medical professionals testified in defense of the sisters, noting their family's extensive history of mental illness. They had a maternal uncle who had committed suicide, a cousin living in a mental asylum, and their own father was an alcoholic who had been accused of sexual assault by their sister Amelia. These professionals were not trying to dispute the claims that the Pepin sisters had committed the murders. They were simply trying to prove that they might not have been in the proper state of mind to control themselves or the violence that they were committing. Medical testimony claimed that Christina was of average intelligence while Leah was of low intelligence with underlying developmental delays. According to them, Christine was the dominant person in the relationship, completely dominating Leah to the point where her personality had disappeared and melded into her sister's. Medical professionals ultimately concluded that the sisters suffered from a, quote, shared paranoia disorder, also known as folly adieu. Folly adieu, also called folly of two or madness of two, is a rare psychiatric syndrome in which symptoms of a delusional belief, and sometimes even hallucinations, are transmitted from one individual to another. It often occurs in groups or pairs of people who are isolated from the world and put in a position where they only have each other to hold on to. This unnatural connection often results in the development of paranoia and sometimes even violence towards outsiders. Ultimately, for people caught in a folly adieu, one partner will completely dominate the other without the subservient even noticing the change in power dynamic. They will gladly go along with the dominant's plans, believing everything they say and doing anything that is asked of them. Not doing so could result in them being alone and detached from their only pillar of stability, a risk that they are not willing to take. This was especially true in Leah Papin's case. Her meek personality was completely swallowed by Christine's dominant and obstinate one. Leah testified to multiple instances of being egged on by Christine during the murders, and many believe that if she had been strong enough to stand up to her sister, she might not have been involved or committed any violence at all. In the end, all of the medical testimonies and advocates for workers' rights couldn't sway the jury in their defense. 
the Papine sisters were found guilty of murder in October of 1933 after only 40 minutes of jury deliberation. One thing that all those medical professionals did manage to do, though, was guarantee the sisters a different prison sentence. Christine was originally sentenced to death by guillotine, a practice that was still being used in the 20th century, but this charge was later commuted to life in prison after several people protested such an act being committed against an obviously disturbed woman. Leah was given a much lighter sentence, 10 years of hard labor in a woman's prison miles away from her sister. Although the jury could not excuse her part in the vicious murder, they all came to the same general consensus. If she had not been influenced by her sister, Leah might not have done anything against the Lanceline women. During sentencing, it was reported that Christine became hysterical, not because she was originally sentenced to death, but because she would once again have to be separated from her sister, but this time for life. Court spectators claimed that compared to her inconsolable sister, Leah was stoic and almost calm after hearing her sentence. Ultimately, it is believed that Christine's separation from Leah is what triggered her death. Both her physical and mental condition quickly deteriorated in prison. Christine reportedly spent the majority of her days crying or speaking to herself, insisting that the prison guards allow her to see her sister. She wrote numerous letters to the court, begging them to have her transferred to the same prison as Leah or to at least let her see her, but all correspondence went unanswered. Her severe depression eventually developed into what medical professionals called a violent madness, which then quickly evolved into Christine completely refusing to eat or sleep. Fearing that she might die in prison, court officials agreed to have her transferred to a mental institution in René, a city east of Brittany in northeastern France. There they hoped that she would get the help that she so desperately needed, but Christine only continued to starve herself. On May 18, 1937, only four years after her sentencing, Christine Pepin died of cachexia, a syndrome associated with rapid muscle loss. It is often the disease that people refer to when someone, quote, wastes away. Christine did not get to see her sister before she died. On Leah's part, prison was a much different experience. After serving eight years of her 10-year prison sentence, Leah was released on good behavior. Multiple people reported that once she was separated from Christine, the often nervous and meek Leah developed into a productive and serious woman, only furthering the belief that her erratic and violent behavior the night of the murder was a direct result of her sister's influence. After her release in 1941, it is believed that she reconnected with her mother, who had changed greatly after Gustav's death. The duo moved to Nantes, in a city in Lore Atlantique, where Leah took on a false identity and began working as a housemaid again. There are multiple reports surrounding Leah Papine's death. Those who have looked into her life after prison reportedly found documentation stating that she had died of natural causes in 1982. But French film producer Claude Ventura tells a different story. Ventura was in the midst of producing a documentary on the Papine sisters entitled In Search of the Papine Sisters. He claimed that he had found Leah living in a hospice center in France in the year 2000. 
The elderly woman that had appeared to be Leah apparently suffered a stroke, leaving her partially paralyzed and unable to speak. With her mother long dead and having no other family close by, the supposed Leah became a ward of the state. Ventura documented this Leah's presence in the hospice center until her death in 2001, although many of his critics were quick to point out one glaring flaw. He was unable to provide any tangible evidence to prove the woman's identity. And that is true. Apart from Ventura claiming that an inside source confirmed her identity, to date, there is no proof to confirm that the woman in the hospice center was actually Leah Papine. No medical or government documentation exists to confirm this claim, and no DNA evidence was ever collected to confirm a match. Because of this, Ventura was publicly criticized as a sensationalist, and for his part in exploiting a disabled and elderly woman. After everything that they had been through, Christine and Leah Papin were buried together in the Cemetery Botelier in Nantes, the same city that Leah had reportedly moved to with her mother. Christine's remains were moved to be closer to Leah after her death, but on whose orders, nobody knows. It seems as though Christine's final wish to be reunited with her sister was finally granted in death. Even after 90 years, the curious case of the Papine sisters and their folly adieu still fascinates the world. Numerous television shows, books, movies, and documentaries have spawned because of the sisters. The ability to lose oneself so deeply in another person has prompted psychological studies into not only the human psyche, but the human spirit. How far could any of us be pushed until we fall into the same pattern of dominance and subservience? How charismatic or domineering does someone have to be before we lose ourselves in them? We always say that something like that could never happen to us, that we would never allow ourselves to get to that point. But how do you know? How do any of us know? Tune in to new episodes of Scary Stories for the Soul on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to follow Scary Stories for the Soul on Instagram and Twitter, and rate the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you have any legends, myths, or ghost stories you want to see covered on the show, email your ideas to scarystoriesforthesoul2020 at gmail.com. Until next time!